Okay, Michael read James chapter 1, and I just want to talk about temptation today, and I just want to give us some practical equipment to deal with temptation in our life, and it's so great that Jomi, Pastor Jomi and Mary and the family are here visiting us. They're going to go see their house that they're buying. They have not seen their house yet. They're buying a house they have not seen yet. That's like faith right there, isn't it? So I'm going to rename them Abraham and Sarah. <laughs> so after lunch today, they're going to go and take a look at the house. It's beautiful. I've driven by it. It's just, I think my wife and I are going to move in there. You guys can move our house. You guys better hurry. It's a beautiful home, and uh, it's just a, it's a, such a blessing. These guys are moving down here. Can we tell? Sure. Can we tell? These guys are moving down here. Uh, the move date is what? November 20th? 20th, right. November 20th, in time for Thanksgiving. And they're joining the team, and uh, this is such a blessing. I'm so blessed that you guys are coming down here. And uh, their kids are so excited. I was on a conference call with them a few days ago. Uh, actually, a couple weeks ago. I don't remember how it was. Yeah, a couple weeks ago. And their kids were so excited. And your daughter knows more about your move than you do, I think. <laughs> We're like, what's the address? And, and uh, Jomi turns to his daughter, what's, her, what's the address of our house? So, James chapter 1. Um, you know, when we think of temptation and we read these verses, it reminds me of a story as a kid growing up, um, driving in the back seat of my dad's. 1973 Buick station wagon. Do you guys know what that looks like? 1973 Buick station wagon. It was white. It was probably as large. It was probably about 30 feet long. It's like the size of a yacht, and it felt like a yacht when we ride in the back of this car. It was it was bigger than uh, the F-150s that they have out these days. It was a huge car, and there was four of us kids. My mom and dad. Mom and dad's always in the front, and we sitting in the car. And I think you guys. Will, remember these times when you were with your families. I had a brother, and I'm not going to give you his name. I, I mean, I have a brother. Uh, and uh, he would just annoy me. He'd be in the back seat of that car. And when we were driving the car with mom and dad, we had to, like, really be, we had to behave ourselves. You know, we had to be good. And those were the days when, is it getting cold? Yeah. Should, we, should we close it? No, or it's good. Uh, those were the days when, I don't know if you remember, but the front seat of the car was like a bench, like this padded bench. Do you guys remember that? Yep. Mm -hmm. All right. And uh, I like those seats. I thought those are great seats. Great for marriages. Great for, you know, your wife can just come over and, but this is a team. This is a team time, not a marriage time. And so, you know, my dad would have his hand on, on, the, on, the, on the seat there and and my brother would just, like, start annoying me as we're driving. You know, he would, like, secretly poke me and, like, pinch me or punch me. And none of you guys have that issue, right? You guys, oh, perfect. There's no issue with that. Great kids here. Sinless children here. And um, he would just do this on and on and on. And then finally, I would just, like, I would just, like, lose it. And I would just, like, just wallop him, you know, like, as hard as I could in the side of the head. And I was a great brother. I was the oldest of four. And, um, and as soon as that would happen, my brother would just let out this incredible scream. My dad's hand. My dad had an arm that was 
probably the length of the entire car. It would just come across, it'd come across my, my, right over my mom's head. <laughs> and I swear, you could touch the window of the back seat, come across, and we'd be like, he was like, my brother would duck because he was lower. And I was always sitting behind my dad, and I would just like get clocked right in the side of the head. And uh, I'd be like, Dad, I didn't do it. It was, it was my brother. It was so-and-so. It was and, Jason. No, it wasn't Jason. <laughs> <laughs> Pastor Jason, it wasn't him. And, and I'd get clocked. And, and every time that would happen, he'd just be like snickering, he'd be laughing. I don't want any kids here to get any ideas, but, but he'd be like laughing. And, and I would just be so annoyed. I'd be like, I, you know, and then he would do it again and do it again and be like this. I'd be so tempted, like, just to, to do it again. And I'm just like processing this temptation, this annoying, this... Uh, Thing that just wouldn't stop, you know, the, this this uh, this antagonism. And then I thought, okay, the price of my dad's head across the side of my head was worth it for a good reaction and a good punchback. And so, and I think this is the way that we look at temptation. <clears throat> we look at temptation like this as some annoying thing that's just poking us, that's annoying us, that's bothering us, that's pushing us, that's that is just in a in a um, uh, in a clever way trying to cause us to react bad, right? Do you know what I'm talking about? And we're wondering why does this continue? And and I might as well just give in to it because I can handle the punishment, I can handle the pushback, I can handle the chastisement because I just got to get I got to get this reaction out. And I think this is the way that the devil would want us to look at temptation. But this is not the biblical description. This is not the way temptation is described in the Bible. God tests us, but he never tempts us. Remember that. God tests us, but he never tempts us. Tests are different than temptations. We never sin except for one cause, because we want to sin. We don't sin because of, and we don't fall to, some t- to temptation because of the opportunity or the occasion or something happened that caused me to sin, like the brother annoying me in the back seat. But if we sin, we make mistakes, we choose to fall into temptation or fall under temptation because we desire sin. We, and, and Michael read that, that we are lured, enticed away by our own desire. And that Greek word there is epithumia, which is this, this is like this overdrive, this desire that just overtakes us. It overpowers us. It knocks us out and it drags us away. This is the picture in the Greek. The purpose, we have to understand that, that conditions don't make us sin. We sin because we desire sin. And you know something, when we sin, and I'm just going to be honest with you, when we sin, when I fail, I don't always feel sorry. Sometimes I'm just like, God, I'm not sorry. <laughs> Actually, I enjoyed that, and I don't know if that's a good thing to confess, but sometimes when we go to God, we say, okay, now i got to repent and confess my sin. i got to be sorry. I'm like, God, sometimes I'm like, I'm not sorry. I'm going to talk about that next week, what that means. We're just like, okay, God, I'm not sorry. I feel bad. I feel destroyed. I feel corrupted. I feel defiled, but I don't feel bad. I maybe feel condemned. We have to understand, before we can understand how to have victory over temptation in our life, I think a lot of young people are facing an incredible amount of temptations today. It's unbelievable. Um, it's unbelievable. And I think that we really have to understand and have God's heart 
um, for young people. I think as a young person, sometimes temptation that we face can seem to be so overwhelming. I remember as a teenager not having the grace message, not having the finished work message, not having the message of victory in Jesus Christ, not even understanding that. I remember wrestling with my sin as a teenager. I just really believe, and last night is so funny because I had a whole other message prepared. I actually gave all these, mess- all these verses to, to West to post. And, and then last night I got home, turned on the Astros game, watching the Astros lose. I was like, not so encouraged. But hey, we're okay. We're going to do it. We're going to pull through. It's only 2-2, right? So we're going to do it. Go Astros. Um, and God said, I'm going I'm to change the message. And he just started speaking to me, speaking to me, speaking to me about something and some things. And then he reminded me, this is the last Sunday of the month. This is Teen Sunday. And so some of you guys got the message on, on the, on the uh, Evergrace message or, hey, bring your teens. And that was kind of the time when I started to realize, you know, the message is changing. And so I was up late last night after working eight hours here, went home and got up really early this morning just to work on this message because I really believe that. God wants to build us up so that we would understand as young people how to deal with temptation in our life. Because you're tempted does not mean that you're evil. Sometimes temptation comes and we feel like I'm a bad person. Guess what? Jesus was tempted in all points as a human being, as an anthropos, as a man. He was tempted in every, every temptation that you see out there today, it came at Jesus full force. Jesus did not live in a holy culture. And so when temptation comes, Martin Luther said it this way, temptation is like a bird flying through the air. Sometimes birds, I don't know if you've ever been walking in the woods or uh, sometimes when we were living in Europe, walk across the center, uh, center, center square and, and these, these really dirty pigeons. You ever see those pigeons that are just, they just walk around to eat everything? And they would just kind of like fly really low right over our heads. And you can just feel the wings and the, and the air just like, you know, blow your hair as it went by. Martin Luther said, that's like temptation. He said, temptation comes at you like a bird in the air. Don't worry about it, even if the birds fly over your head. Just don't let them make a nest in your hair. Don't get condemned when temptation comes your way. Because that's not who you are. And I want to talk about that in a minute. We have to understand what is a test and what is a temptation. God sends tests to us so that we can experience the blessing of seeing the power and the blessings of God in our life. God's got a plan for you. And tests come not to prod us, to annoy us, to to bother us like our brother would be, just egging us on so that we would fail. God is not in heaven poking you in the side, punching you in your shoulder, aggravating you so that you would fail. Just remember that. Because God is in heaven. He sends tests because a test comes with this purpose. God has a purpose in every test in your life that, he would, that you would see the power of God and the amazing faithfulness of God in his plan for your life. Can you remember that? When a test comes, don't live in condemnation. You know, something, uh, temptation can come or tests can come with, with, with change. When, everything, when, anything, when anything changes in our life, we, we experience a test. I think teens go through incredible amount of change. I remember as a teenager, every three months just feeling like another person. I was just like, I was just going through multiple personalities or something. I just felt like I was morphing into a monster and then into this 
secluded, isolated person. Then I turned into this other thing. I felt like Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. I felt like the Hulk. One minute, I'm this normal, organized person in control of my life. And then next, next minute, I'm a green monster just tearing up my household. And this is what teens go through because there's a lot going on inside of a teen's body, chemically, psychologically, uh, physically, they're growing, their body is changing. And I just think that we as teenagers, I say we because I was there, I think I feel like I'm still like a teenager. <laughs> we have to give ourselves great grace, right? We've got we to exercise ourselves in grace. We've just got to live in the grace of God and just understand that God is for you. God is really for you. God's not in heaven poking you and prodding you and trying to annoy you so that you would just finally explode with reactions so that he could come across that seat and smack you in the side of the head because he's an angry God. No, that is a wrong paganistic way of thinking about God. And guess what? Some of us adults still think that way about God. We do. Because we, in our baseline and our soul, live in guilt. And because we are fallen creatures, and we default to guilt. When you and I are not filled with the Holy Spirit, I'm getting ahead of myself here, but when you and I are not filled with the Holy Spirit... When we're not walking in the word of grace, guess what happens? We default to one of two ways. We fall off the rails either one or one, one, or one of two ways. Either we fall off the way of legalism, religiosity, guilt, beating ourselves up, beating up everybody else in our family, or we fall off the other end, lasciviousness, living without any, without any rules or without any kind of, any kind of, of control. Whenever change happens in our life, that change can cause difficulty. And that change could be actually difficulty or it could actually be success. And when this happens, this can either make us wiser or move us into temptation that leads us into sin and death. Change is going to make us move. I, was, I, I learned this now when we, were, when we just went through this whole thing here together in Houston with, with this hurricane. And I feel like in a lot of ways, you know, living in Houston, not being from here, but living here, and going through all the pain that people suffered. It was a lot of pain here, and still is a lot of pain here. Going through all of this, you know, going through this, seeing people's, walking to people's homes. I know I say this, but it just, you know, I got pictures in my mind that are never going to go away. I got pictures in the photo album of my right, my right lobe that are never going to go, walking into somebody's house with, eight, with a water line of eight feet. And, and, and all of their furniture and everything is in the center of the house because the water put it there. And their house is destroyed. And just seeing their faces, not knowing what to do. And I remember going through that with, with people and seeing the incredible change. I mean, some people have to move away after living in a home for 30 years. Change can cause and trigger a lot of temptation in our life. Because we as creatures don't like change. We don't like change. Don't change it. Please don't change it. Because... When we as a teenager are going through so much change, there's so much drama and so much traumatic things going on in our mind that when we become an adult, we're like, okay, that's enough of that. I just want some stability and some predictability in my life. But change will move you. No matter how well we know God, no, how many, no matter how many Bible verses that we know in the Bible, change is going to move you. We lose our job. That's going to change us. Something ha- we have a kid, we, a, a child is born, you know? Uh, Wesley became an uncle again. His brother had, his bro- well, not his brother, but his wife's, his brother's wife had a baby. And now he's an uncle again, you know? That's going to change her life, Angelica's life. I think if men had babies, we'd die. We just whine ourselves to death. We just, I mean, we, we break a toenail or something like that. We just curl up in a fetal position. We're just like whining and crying. And Women have an incredible level, uh, capacity of pain. 
And that's incredible. When change happens, I think we have to guard our hearts because that's when temptation can come. But you know something? When change comes and when it moves us, let it move us towards the crown of life and let it move us towards seeing the victory of God in our life. So what do we do with temptation? What happens when temptation comes? What is temptation? And when temptation comes, I want to give us some practical answers. Because when I was a teenager, I'd go to church, and I'd, I remember this reading this book by this famous author called Spiritual Schizophrenia. It was about Romans chapter 7. The things that I don't want to do, I do. And the things that I do, I don't want to do. And I thought, that sounds like me. I was like this teenager in the middle of just this uh, hormonal dis- uh, disaster in my life, flunking high school, just not having any motivation. I read the whole book, and there was no answer. Have you ever read, read a book like that? You just read through the book, and there's like, at the end, and it said, you know, we have victory in Christ through the cross and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I thought, there's no practical steps there. And I walked away from that. And when I first heard the grace message, the finished work message, it just healed me. It changed me in so many ways. What do we do? Well, I want, to, I want us to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Normally, don't, we don't move around in the scriptures this much. We stick with one scripture and kind of park there. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, I want to read verse 13 and verse 14. It's going to be on the screen there for you if you don't have it. And this is the English Standard Version. No temptation. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 13 and 14. And these are so, these, are so, these words are so comforting, aren't they? <coughs> no temptation has overtaken you. That is, not, that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted above or beyond your ability. But with the temptation, but with the, with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape. Think of those words. With the temptation, say this with me. With the temptation, he will provide a way of escape. Let's say that again. With the temptation... He will provide a way of escape. I read this. I, I, early this morning, I got up and I was drinking some awesome. I can't wait to get Chris's coffee because I'm out of coffee. I was just going through this coffee and drinking this coffee, the Starbucks stuff. And I thought, I can't wait to get Chris's coffee. And I'm reading these verses and I'm opening up. I uh, open up the Greek. And you know what that word says? That with the temptation, you know what that is in the Greek? Guys, you know what this is? Remember this. Okay. And if you're taking notes, write this down. With the temptation. You know what that means? It means that something is coming with the temptation, but it's closer to you than the temptation. It means that it, in, in vicinity, it's closer to you than the temptation. Sometimes when we are tempted, we feel like, oh man, I just like, I feel like this is so close. I feel like this is so me. And all the memories are there and all the emotions are there. And actually... The blood and the, the chemicals in the body are all responding because it's in there. and Because, you know, memory is more than just thoughts, but it's also chemistry. And that, that, that temptation is there. Guess what happens? This little Greek word tells us that with the temptation is something closer to us. And it's a way of escape. It's like a way of escape. I want to talk about that here in a minute. And then he says that you may, that you may be able to endure it. I love that word, endure before I would read that word, enduring, or in the King James, it's bear. And I would think, okay, I'm just going to bear this. I'm going to suffer through it. I don't know if I can do this. And you know what I'm saying? We can read that verse and think, I'm going to struggle through this. I'm going to wrestle through this. And there is a wrestle. But this, the Greek here is it's hupermeno, which means that 
It means to bear a heavy load, but in a resting position. Okay? I was watching, I was watching a mom. I don't remember where I was. A mom had just given birth, literally just given birth, and she was still, like, healing up from the birth, and she had this little baby, and you could tell she was in a lot of pain holding the baby, and she was standing, and, and uh, she was just holding that baby, and loving the baby, but it was a heavy load for her. You could see that she was in pain, and someone gave her a seat, and she sat down, and she could just see her rest, her whole countenance rest. She was relaxing, and then at that moment, she had that baby, and she was holding that baby in a different way. You know something? When we understand this way of escape, which I'm going to mention in a minute, this puts us in a position where we can sit and bear the hardship without struggling. We can bear it in a restful position and not have to fight our way through in the energy of the flesh. Beware of Christianity that talks about your sanctification as a battle. I want to clarify that in a second. Beware of Christianity that teaches that your sanctification is something that you got to do through the energy of your own determination and your own energy. It's very subtle, and I hear it sometimes, and sometimes I think, I hear it sometimes, I think, oh, what devotion, what sincerity after God. But you know something? There is a secret element in that that adds the energy of the flesh and the power of the flesh in that. And we have to be very careful of that because sanctification, and I don't want to get into big words here for this because this is for the teens. Sanctification in our life is something, is not something that I perform. Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13, it said, verses 12 and 13, it says that, God gives us the will and the desire to do his perfect will. Romans chapter 6, we just yield to God. When we're in temptation, we're feeling the power of temptation. We just want to blow up. When there's pressure on, you know, when you have pressure in your relationships or close relationships, it's going to push us in a direction. It's going to want us to go to that zone that we feel comfortable, that we can feel refreshed, that we can feel that we can build ourselves up in the flesh. When that happens, just yield to God. Yield to the Holy Spirit. I'm going to talk about here in just in a second uh, some very practical ways to do that. What is the way of what is this way of escape? Galatians 5, verse 16. I'm going to read that verse. Galatians 5, verse 16. It says, But I say, walk in the spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Walk in the spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Here's where we're going to get really practical. Temptation addresses desire, right? Temptation addresses desire. When the devil comes at you, he's addressing your desires. He's not addressing your mind. He's not addressing your energy, your strength. He's addressing what you want, right? He's he's addressing what you are really passionate about. And the flesh has a lot of passions, doesn't it? I mean, there's a lot of passion there in the flesh. Passions that God has given us that in the right situation are an awesome blessing but outside of God's will, are just, it's just disastrous and so, and so destructive. The devil's coming at, devil came at, at Adam and Eve and addressed Eve's desires and said, isn't this beautiful looking apple? And it's something that's going to make you wise. You know, so the, that's what the world comes at us. That's what the world comes at teenagers day in and day out, hour by hour, minute by minute. Every turn they take, there's stuff coming at us that is trying to address our desires. Temptation, when Jesus was being tempted, 
And we're, when we're being tempted, the devil wants to draw you and I into some kind of intellectual battle with the devil, right? And just think, I know this is wrong. I, I shouldn't do this. And these are all the reasons why I shouldn't do this. And these are all the Bible verses why I shouldn't do this. And, and this is why this shouldn't happen. And mom and dad are going to be upset. And then I'm going to be upset. And, and we try to wrestle with, 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 with temptation with, <clears throat> with our mind, right? We try to intellectualize. We just try to go through it in our mind like, okay, if I do this, it's like playing a chess game. But you know something? The devil, does, the devil wants to draw you and I into a chess game with him intellectually. And guess what? He's going to beat us because he's, he's a smarter creation than we are in our flesh. But in the spirit and who we are in Christ, we have victory over the devil. And temptation has no place in our life. And I want to talk about that in a second. What is the way of escape when we walk in the spirit? What does that mean practically? What does that mean that the moment we stop walking in the spirit and the word of grace the test from God that is meant to promote you turns into a temptation, okay? God doesn't tempt us. He tests us. And when a test comes, the devil wants to get us into a place where we're just condemning ourselves because we feel tempted. And when you, start, when you feel tempted, just say, yes, God, I'm a human being. Okay, here I am. Just, just confess it to God. Just say, I'm, you know, God, I'm being tempted right now. Because the devil wants to, wants to tempt you as a teen and then push you into a place of isolation and think, and just say, you're such a bad person. You're thinking that thought or you want to do that thing and wants to beat us up, right? Am I, am I, am I speaking truly, truly here? Does the devil want to come at you and isolate you because you have a thought? Just say, God, you know what? I'm a sinner. Have mercy upon me, a sinner, right? Cast yourself before the Lord and say, God, I'm a sinner, and don't live in the weakness towards sin. Just go to God and say, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And just say, God, have compassion on me as a sinner. And I think when we go to God, you know something? When we feel that temptation, you know what we're really looking for? We're looking for compassion for that desire. We have this desire. We're like, oh, my God, I have this war in my soul right now. And I'm just looking for some kind of compassion and understanding without being condemned. When someone comes to us or comes to you and says, you know, I'm really struggling with this in my life. I think the first thing that we need to do with them in counseling is just identify. Just identify. And just say, you know what? I'm there. I know it. I've been there. I'm made of flesh. I'm, I've got clay feet. Because if you and I throw immediately stiff, if, if we have a friend in school come to us and say, you know, I'm struggling with, with, uh, you know, with drugs, the first thing we want to do is not throw Bible verses at them and throw information and hey, this is what you should do. Because what does that do? It pushes people away. The first thing we need to do is make sure that that person understands that they're loved by God in their state. Romans chapter 5, verses 5, 6, and 7, and 8 says this. Uh, 6, 7, and 8 says this. It says that while we were yet sinners, while we were yet enemies, while we were without strength, Christ died for us. Isn't that awesome? Jesus didn't wait until you had strength in your life to die for you. Jesus didn't wait. Okay, wait a minute. Wes doesn't have enough strength right now. I'm not going to come and die. Okay, now, you know, until Wes has got strength. He's not going to do that to us. He's going to come in our weakest moment. And at that moment, when we feel the weakest, we feel like we're just going to go over the edge and we're going to just go down that rabbit hole, we've got to come to God and say, God, have mercy on me. Be compassionate on me. Woe is me. I am a man of unclean lips and I'm undone. I think when we do that before the Lord, we just cast ourselves before the Lord. And we have that passionate prayer. Guess what happens? We discover in Romans 5, verse 5, the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts. And this is the turning point. 
Romans chapter 7, Paul said, Paul said this to the Romans. He says, I am not my sin. Is that great? I am not my, I'm not my past. We have, all of us have pasts in this room. Pasts that we don't want to talk about. <laughs> you know, and that's why accountability groups sometimes don't work. Because sometimes accountability groups, when you get in these accountability groups, some people are kind of hiding their sin. They're kind of packing it farther back. And they're just talking about the lesser sins in their life so they can be part of the crowd. The only thing that can heal us and set us free is the compassion and the love and the grace of God. So what happens? What happens when temptation comes? I just want to give us some really, some really practical stuff. A good defense is a strong offense. A good defense is a strong offense. Why wait until we're in that position where we're just getting pounded by temptation? Let's just have a good offense, right? When you play football, you know, when you're playing football, we went to Michael's game uh, a couple weeks ago and just watched. It was just so amazing just to see high school football Friday nights in Texas. That was just quite an experience. It was amazing. And I'm so glad I did that. It's so much better than NFL, my gosh. And, I mean, the halftime was so incredible. I already talked about it, but the halftime was so incredible. I was like, and they were playing hymns. And I was like, what, where am I? It was 10,000 people, you know. I was like, this is incredible. This is amazing. And we stood. We had, everybody took their hats off. We had their hands on our heart. We were singing, were, were we singing the national anthem. Is that what we were doing? Okay. <laughs> I brought my lawn chair. I thought I was going to some rinky-dink small thing. And Sean was so kind. He was like, oh, I'm going to need another kind of chair. And he had this little kind of chair to put on the, on the, on the bleachers. And I just sat there and watched the game. It was just so incredible. In football, we got to have a good offense. If we have weakness on our team, we're going to have a good offense, don't we? I never played football. I was in track and field. But if you have a weakness in an area, you've got to have a good, strong offense. And how do we do that? Number one, and this is where I just kids, I want to really just want you to tune in here. Guard what enters your soul, Okay. Guard what, guard what your eyes see. You know, your eyes are the gate to your soul. <clears throat> your eyes are the... I'm not only talking to teens, I'm talking to adults and to myself. Guess what? How many of you have seen a little tiny baby that the, the littlest thing could scare them? Like, if you have a little infant, are you going to have on your TV this crazy science fiction horror going on? Absolutely not. I mean, any mother would just cover their child's eyes, you know? My wife, when we sometimes, what we've been watching um, the news and, and, and I've been watching the, 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 the World Series, and, and because it's Halloween, sometimes these commercials come on with these, you know, these horror movies, you know, and like some girl with a doll or something. And, and, uh, and my wife's like, oh, I can't even look at that. I can't even just shut that up. Because you know something, no matter how old we are, how, how strong we feel, or how, how much of a filter that we think we have, there's a child inside of us that is our soul and is just as impressionable as an infant. Just remember that. Sometimes a guy, one time a guy told me, he said, he goes, I watch all these movies because, um, because I, you know, I got a strong threshold. And I just said, I don't think that's wise. You know, I just don't think that's wise. Guard what your eyes are looking because your soul is impressionable as a child. But also to music. <clears throat> we got great music here. <clears throat> I love it. I love the, love the worship because we're worshiping with our whole heart. You know something? Some music, music is a language. Rhythm is a language. Beats are a language. And it causes emotions and it causes certain chemical releases of certain beats. It's been proven. A certain kind of music and words to music.
can, can, can um, stir up certain emotions inside of us. Be careful what enters into your soul because what we let in becomes our standard of thinking. What you and I let in is going to become the standard of our thinking. And we think we can handle it. We think that we can, we can handle this. Here's the thing about science fiction. I thought about it. And I, love, I grew up watching science fiction. I thought it was so cool. I still think it's really amazing of what they can do. And, and uh, you know, it's incredible. But here's the thing about science fiction. And, and, and don't ever watch a movie with me because I'm going to ruin it. Because I'm going to see all the philosophy by, behind everything. I'm just going to just, you know, don't ever watch a movie with me because... When I watch something, I'm just thinking, what, is this, what, are, they, what are they saying behind? You know, what's, what's the philosophy behind all of that? And I'm just like, oh, just shut it off. I can't, I can't handle this philosophy. The thing about science fiction <clears throat> and, and movies that are like that is that <clears throat> the <clears throat> when you see these unnatural-looking creatures and these unnatural feats, what happens is, is that it stuns the conscious mind. It stuns it. It just paralyzes it. The, the conscious mind, the filter of the mind is stunned. It's just like, it's like deer in headlights, right? It's just stunned. It's just stunned. And guess what happens? The filter shuts off. And then whatever the philosophy of the movie starts pouring into our soul. And the philosophy of the movie may have nothing to do with monsters or science fiction. Maybe actually Eastern mysticism. It could be, uh, it could be hero complexes. Now, I, you know, I'm not saying that, that we can't watch... Uh, certain movies. I'm just saying that, like, this is what happens with some movies, and we got to really use a filter, because what can happen is, is that it, our conscious mind, our filter, gets stunned, and when it's stunned, the devil comes in through the back door and starts pouring trash into our soul. Really, really, be careful what you put before your eyes. Here's another way to to develop a good offense, a strong offense. Cultivate your intimacy with God. Cultivate your intimacy with God. I know I'm going a little longer here this morning, but cultivate your intimacy with God. I just want to ask you, and I'm asking, I asked myself the same question this week, so I'm not picking on you. I asked myself the same question. How much time can I sit down in my room or in a place in quietness and be silent and quiet before the Lord? Just be quiet before the Lord. You know, just, just be quiet and, and just listen. And shut the phone off, leave the phone, the iPad, everything else in the other room, and just. I know that a lot of us have kids. I know that you, I know you teens have incredible homework schedules. It's unbelievable what you guys are doing. There's got to be a time where we just go for a walk. When I was a teen, I would just go for a walk on the train tracks. Get, I would hope that a train would hit me. No, <laughs> I just walk on these train tracks. I don't know why I like the train tracks. I just walk there and just think, you know, and just pray and just think. Cultivate your intimacy with God. Because you know what? Intimacy with God will promote the right passion in your life. If you're struggling with passions, don't try to deal with it in the intellect of your mind. Develop a new passion. Bring in a brand new passion. I'm going to close with this. When we get careless with what we let in the threshold of our soul, we become cold and we are not intimate with God. I think husbands, we all could identify with that. When we just get detailed out with our jobs and incredible pressures at work, and we face incredible pressures at work, and in the ministry we face pressures, and a lot of things are going on, guess what happens? We start losing our sense of intimacy with our wife. And that can happen with us as a team. That can happen to us is that when I get so detailed out with the pressures and things that are going on, I can lose my intimacy with God. Guard that. Because 
the process is, is that when we lose that intimacy with God, we get familiar. Familiarity always leads to indifference. Indifference leads to carelessness. And carelessness leads to us crossing lines that should never be crossed. Here's the practical thing. And kids, I want, I want you to write this down, okay? I want you to write this down and I'm going to close. Temptation sometimes can be like a lion that comes out of a bush that you're not even ready for. Ever have that happen to you? It's happened to me before. Where just temptation just comes out. I mean, you're walking down the road in God's will. You're doing God's will. You're thinking with God. You're doing, And if suddenly, out of nowhere, a lion jumps out of the bushes and it's just ready to devour you. And we have to have a strategy. We have to have a plan. And you know what that plan is? I heard it somewhere said this way. It's like anthem. It's like the anthem strategy. Anthem is an acronym. Each letter stands for a particular part of the strategy. And I want you to... I remember things in easy packages. So this is an easy package for me, and this is how I remember. And when you, get the, when you have the devil come at you like a flood, just remember the Holy Spirit is going to raise up a standard against him. What is that standard? Well, number one, anthem. It's made up A-N-T-H-E-M. The first letter, anthem, is A, and that is just avoid. That's just a great strategy. Just avoid situations that are just put you in trouble. Just avoid it. Just go the other direction. Avoid it. Avoid. Number two, say no within five seconds. Someone said that. I think a, a teen leader said that. When something comes at you, within five seconds, you've you got to say no. Just say no. Just even say it out loud. Just say no. Just say it out loud. Because when I think sometimes when we speak out, we sound kind of goofy. We're like, oh, my gosh, I'm talking to myself. People are going to think I'm crazy. But when we speak out, we're speaking to the atmosphere and guess what? When you, when you exercise your God-given free will, the devil has to respect that. Okay? We say, just say no within five seconds. Just do it. Just say no within five seconds. Number three, or the next letter, T. Turn to something magnificent. Turn to something. So you say no to that, and then you immediately turn, and you just turn to something magnificent in your life. And what is the magnificent? I just want to say to you teens, what is the magnificent plan of God for your life? <clears throat> He's got a calling on your life. Again, I'll just use a testimony in my life. I remember when I was 17 years old, I was just like, no vision for high school. Just, I was done. I wasn't going anywhere in my life. And I got an vi- opportunity to go on a mission trip. I went on that mission trip, and God really spoke to me and told me that he had a plan for my life in ministry and in evangelism. And you know what? That became something magnificent in my life. And whenever temptation came my way, I would say no, and I would immediately turn to that magnificent calling. I just want to say, kids, you got such a magnificent calling. God's got such an awesome plan for your lives. You don't even know it. You know, I, I heard that. Um, um, I heard that Andre like gets together with uh, kids in his school and they pray by the flagpole. It's incredible, isn't it? They just get together and pray. That's awesome. That's a magnificent thing. Turn to the magnificent in your life. The next word, the next letter, H, holds the pure thing that you are a new creation in your mind, and the dirty thing is gone. Hold to the pure thing. You know, I think young girls have to know that they are beautiful in the eyes of God. That no matter what's going on in their body, whatever they look like, they are beautiful in, the, in God's eyes. And I think as parents, we communicate that to our kids. No matter what, the Barbie look is not God's standard of beauty. God's standard of beauty is that you are purchased with my blood and you are beautiful in my eyes. Hold to that. That's why, dads, we got to be so we got to be so present with our kids. we got to be like pouring into our kids. we got to be like loving. we got to make sure our daughters know that they are just the object of our love and affection and that they are just amazing. And um, 
and I know that um, I've heard you guys say that, and I know that you feel that way, but when that temptation comes as a kid, as a teenager, we got to remember, you know something? I'm going to hold on to the beautiful thing. I'm not going to hold on to that dirty thing. And then the next letter, E, enjoy the greater pleasure of the blood-brought promises of God. Enjoy the greater pleasure. You know, God has a greater pleasure for us. Enjoy that pleasure of the promises of God, that God is, is promising. I remember sometimes as a teen struggling with things and just saying, you know what, God's got a plan for me. Guys, I remember as a 14-year-old just saying that, you know what, God's got something better for me. God's got a plan for me. And you know what, he did. He had something better. And then last letter, M, of the acronym Anthem, move on to the meaningful Christ, Christ-centered living. Just move on in God's call for your life. Come out to church. Come to teen class. Get involved with what God is doing in your life. Just draw near. Draw near. Don't let the devil isolate you. There's a testimony of a teenage girl that I heard late last night on YouTube, and I posted the link to it on our uh, Evergrace face page, and I want you to read it. Uh, I want you to listen to it. It's a girl. Her name is Emmy uh, Lou. I don't know if you've heard of her. She's a teen, and she just on has a YouTube ch- channel, and she just talks about in just very open, honest discussion about things that, teen, that she as a teenager has faced and how she overcame them. I just thought it was so good what she said. And you know what she said? She said that the passions that I had, the wrong passions that I had that tripped me up in temptation were replaced with a brand new passion. And she said, I realized, she said, I would struggle and struggle and fail and fail in this area of my life. And she talks about what that area was. And then she said, God gave me a vision to help other young people that are struggling with this particular problem. And that new passion to help other young people that were struggling with the same thing I am gave me strength to overcome temptation. She said, when I understood that new passion in my life, that new, that new calling, that new desire, guess what happened? That overcame those desires that were pulling her down. <clears throat> and this is how we overcome, te- overcome temptation. Because the devil says, this is beautiful. And we say, you know, that is not beautiful. That is destructive. That is, that's like unbelievable. What is beautiful is God's plan for my life, my future. This girl, this girl, Emmy Lou, she, she was a teenager. She went through all of this stuff, and she was very honest. A lot of people gave her a lot of, a lot of pushback and just really mocked her for saying all this stuff, but she just kept doing these videos. And now this, this past fall, she went to Bible school. She got a vision for her life. I just want to say that God has, has a plan for you guys. God's plan for us is more beautiful than the plan that we could ever have. Temptation is not as powerful as you think it is. And when the test comes in your life and you feel the pressure, just remember the, remember the anthem strategy and just hold on to that more beautiful thing that what the devil is, is propo- proposing. Amen? Let's, close our, let's bow our heads and close our eyes for a moment. And, and I just want to ask you,